And if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, um, I hope you can find that. This is the uh, final chapter of the book of Acts. I don't typically comment a lot on our videos, but that video was put together by Jonathan and Maria Berlin. They are like the Jay-Z and Beyonce of 1122 worship. All right, a lot of talent in that family. In case you're homeschooled or Southern Baptist, Jay-Z and Beyonce are worship leaders um, from the West Coast. So... So it took them five minutes to cover all the book of Acts. Take me about a year and a half. I'm excited about this series, Turn the Page. Uh, we're going to do the last chapter in two weeks. Um, and so before we dig into Acts 28, verse 1, I just want to say this because I want every service this weekend to hear it. I am so proud, so, so proud to be the pastor of the Church of 1122 after the way you treated Pastor Quan and his family last weekend. He, um, I don't know if you follow him on Facebook, you should. Um, if you don't know who I'm talking about, there's a, a church planter friend of mine. I've just become friends with him in this past year. Uh, he planted a church just outside of San Francisco, California. He has been literally persecuted, um, bad press, bad mouth, accused of a lot of stuff from the tolerant crowd. And then someone actually detonated a bomb on the front doorstep of his home uh, in the name of his, you know, because of his intolerance. Um, for preaching the gospel, that's all he does. But in his church in, in San Francisco, God's blessing it like crazy. Lots of people are being saved. God's doing an amazing gospel work. But when I first met him about, I guess about six months ago or so, you could just tell he was tired and beaten down. And so um, this past weekend, you know, we brought him in. He and his, his wife, Jenny, just a precious, precious daughter of God, brought he and his wife and his three little kids in. And we just honored them and blessed them. We sent them to Disney. We got them couples massages. We sent them to restaurants. I babysat their kids. Can you believe that? And by I, I mean Gretchen because the two have become one, so I get credit for what she does. <laughs> but it counts, okay? Um, and so, so if you look at his Facebook, uh, Pastor Quan updated the Urban Dictionary, and he added this phrase, to be 1122'd means to be attacked violently by grace. That's what he says. Isn't that cool? And so when he left here on Sunday, he went to Salt Life to eat lunch. He said he felt like the whole restaurant was looking at him. And when he got his bill, it just said, thank you for what you do, son, the church of 1122. And so I am so proud of you as a church and just, um, and just honoring and extolling some other gospel partners. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. And there will be more to come. How about, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if our church was just known by violently attacking people with grace, right? Wouldn't that be a cool thing just to be known as, as a church? And so I'm so excited. Now, uh, Acts chapter 28, uh, the, the, the title of this message is Snake Bitten, and um, it's pretty relevant. I'll tell you why in just a second. Acts 21, I mean 28, verse 1. It says, after we were brought safely through, if you'll remember the last series, we just got out of Acts 27, which was all about Paul's shipwreck, remember? And we were holding fast to influence, and we were holding fast to hope, and we were holding fast to the cross, and Paul was on this ship, and, and he said, hey, captain of the ship and crew, I don't think we should sail. I don't think it's a good idea. In fact, God told me it's not a good idea. And then they outvoted Paul, and then they head off into the storm anyway. And then they get shipwrecked, and Paul says, I told you. I told you you should have listened to me. But um, take heart, you know, cling to hope. 
and he preaches hope, and he says, listen, as long as we, as long as we cling to the cross, then we'll all be saved. God's going to save us all. And so that's what happens here. They cling to the planks of wood after the shipwreck, <clears throat> and 28.1, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The island that they were shipwrecked on was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. Because it had begun to rain and was cold. And so you got to think, if you're Paul, now don't read ahead, okay? Don't read ahead. Quit reading your Bibles. Look up. Stop. So the problem with those of you that do a lot of Bible study is you read this like it's a children's story. Like when you read David and Goliath, you don't think about a little guy and a big giant in fear. You just think, you've heard it so many times that you think about it like a, like a veggie tales, okay? So think about if you were actually Paul here. And you've been through all the trials and all the things that Paul's been through. And then you're floating on your little plank and your shackles are finally off. And then you're on this crazy island and these people come up, you know, with their faces all painted Johnny Depp style, right, from one of those pirate movies. And you you think, are they going to kill us? And they don't kill you. And in fact, they're unusually kind to you. And they build you a little fire. And you're warming your hands by the fire. And at this point, you got to be thinking, okay, finally finally, maybe the pain is over, right? And you can hear in your mind that little song. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I'm not going to sing it. But you know, it's kind of in your mind. And you're thinking, this is great. And you're beginning to kind of lean over to your friends and be like, see, I told y'all, Jesus is going to come through. All right, don't be afraid when the storms and the clouds come because Jesus is going to come through. And he always comes through. He always comes through. He came through for Peter and John when they were before the Sanhedrin, and he came through for Peter when he was in prison, and he's come through for me before, and he came through for himself when he died on the cross, and he resurrected from the grave. And I know he seems late, but God's never late, but he's also never early. God likes to hit home runs in the bottom of the ninth, okay, so that's what he wants to do. And God doesn't want to hit a home run in the sixth inning, because then everybody leaves during the seventh inning strikes, and he wants you to experience the whole ball game. So check this out. Whoo! He's finally here. You know, Super Jesus is on the scene. Can't you see the big SJ with the cape in the wind, you know? Finally, got this nice fire and the Maltons or however you see, whatever they're called are being nice to us, unusually kind. Ooh, man, this is good. Verse 3. <laughs> and when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, if you're Paul, (laughs) and you're sitting there, post-shipwreck, post-arrest, post-beating, and you get this one little glimmer of hope, oh, I'm getting treated kindly, I'm warming my hands on the fire, and then whack, and you're shaking, and it says it fastened to his hand. This isn't even just a bite. This is like, get off of me, right? You're shaking, and there's a snake on your hand, and are you, I mean, if you're honest, if I'm Paul, maybe you're all spiritual, all right? You probably would have been like, oh, praise God for the pain. No, but me, the biggest sinner in the womb, I'm, I'm going, seriously, God? I mean, seriously. Can I not catch a break? I mean, I'm on this, right? I'm trying to shake the snake off my hand, and can you just not hook me up for just, just a second here? I mean, have I not been through enough? I'm literally shipwrecked on this island, 
let's just be honest, because of you, all right? Because of my obedience to you, I'm shipwrecked here. And, and, and I'm going to get bitten by a snake, not even just struck. I mean, fastened to the get off my hand thing here. And, and also, if you're, if you're honest, you'll go, well, well why would, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? In my disciple group this morning, I asked the young men that I disciple, why do you think this happened? And one guy said, because um, that's what snakes do. <laughs> that's true, isn't it? <laughs> that's what snakes do. So we've been over this several times lately, but I've just got to take us wherever the text takes us. That's where, where it goes. So when pain happens in our life, we, we love to ask why. So sometimes it's our own choice. You know, sometimes it's our own choice. We're in pain because we did something dumb. And God doesn't always save us from our stupidity, right? He will save your soul forever, but he doesn't always rescue us from our own consequences. Sometimes we endure pain like Paul here because of the poor choices of others. Some other people can do either dumb or sinful things that impact you. Sometimes we endure pain because of the pruning of God. We don't like this one. That God is a gardener, and he doesn't mind cutting away the branches that aren't growing. And that looks and feels painful. And sometimes that sometimes uh, we go through pain, and it's actually the provision of God. It's God's discipline in our lives that God allowed us to go through the pain because he's got a greater purpose that we can't see from our perspective. That's a lot of P's right there, all right? But that's the truth, that, that it's God's provision. And sometimes it's just the fact that we live in a broken and sinful and chaotic world. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, the snakes didn't bite people. Snakes didn't bite people. And one day, one day, um, I don't, snakes probably won't be in heaven, okay, but all the rest of the animals will all get along. But in the meantime, we live in a broken and a sinful and a chaotic world, and stuff like this happens. And now, um, I don't know if you've ever been snake bitten, okay? But there's only one thing to do with a snake. How many people on the, new, on the news saw that the, the guy in Kentucky, the snake handling pastor, got killed by a snake? Did you see that? All right? Um, and, and so, anybody in the ministry just... I feel like, I mean, they're, I'm kind of kindred to them, you know? So that crazy kind of stuff on television, I watch a lot. I, I'm, I know, I know, it's, I know, right? But what else are you going to watch? But when I tune into that stuff, the snake salvation guy, I would watch him and just think, oh, my. And so now they're interviewing the people in his church. And so if you, if you don't know what's going on, there's a guy in Kentucky, and he would handle snakes in the service because of a verse out of the book of Mark, all right? And he took that verse literally that they will pick up poisonous snakes and drink poison and will not be harmed. That's what the book of Mark says. But there's also some verses in there like you'll gouge your eye out and cut off your hand. So, you know, people draw the literal line all over the place. And so because of those verses, he would handle the snakes. And then one bit him and he refused to go to the hospital to receive care and so he died. And so they're interviewing his church, and, they're, and people in the church are going, I don't know why this happened to him. Okay, so call me a prophet, but I think I've figured it out. Because you're picking up poisonous snakes, and that's what snakes do. Amen, right? 
So here's what you do if a snake comes up to you. You kill it. That's what you do. So it's been a while since I've shared a hunting story. So I was in the woods last spring, and it was raining like crazy, raining, raining, raining. And uh, so I'm sitting like in a little covered shed thing hunting. And, uh, and so when I get out, you know, I always wear snake boots, you know. Uh, so you can call me faithless or alive. Your call, right? <laughs> and uh, so I always wear snake boots when I go into the woods, especially in the spring because there's snakes out there. And so I'm walking down the little trail to go back towards my truck. And I felt a little thud on my foot. And I thought, if you've ever walked through the woods before, you know how sometimes you can catch a root and then it'll let go and kind of smack you. And so I just kind of thought that's what it was. And I looked down and there's a water moccasin attached to my boot, right? And so I did not pick him up and quote Mark 16. (laughs) What I did remember was a verse, I think it's in Peter, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And what that means for me is a Glock 45 here. I also quoted that verse once to an owl. And now I was going to quote it to a snake. And so I, uh, I kind of did the, the, uh, the Lord of the Dance thing, you know, where they dance without moving their arms, just feet, and just pow, 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 like that. And I think I have a, I think we have a picture. Do we have a picture of of my snake? Okay, so there it is. See how his head is a little displaced? That's called a hollow point. That's God's common grace that he's given to us all. Praise God. And then I, and then after he was dead, all right, I took him from the woods and I carried him back and I put him in a tree near where I park, high in the tree, to display to all his snake brethren and sistren that if you come around our hunting camp, you too can join your snake brother in hell. Okay, that's what I did. So now, back to Paul. So when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks... And he put him on a fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And so, this is the place where you don't have to fake it. This is the church where it's okay to not be okay. This is the church where we can actually talk about real pain. You know, we don't have to act like it's all going all right. Right? Um, Any of you feel snake bitten? I I know because I read the prayer cards every day. I read a stack of the prayer cards every day, and I just know if you walk with Jesus long enough, there's going to come this point where you just feel snake bitten. You feel like, come on, God, can I just catch a break? I mean, I've been praying, I've been attending, I've been, can I just catch a break? Because if you are serious about being a Christian, there will be time when pain comes in your life and from your perspective, it may not make sense in that moment. And, and, and I'll just kind of give us a pass. Um, because we don't, have, we don't always have God's perspective in that moment, there are times when from our vantage point, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And so I'm sure Paul is sitting here. Shaking the snake off of his hand going, seriously, God, why me? Why me? Why can't I ever catch a break? And, <clears throat> and I know that, I know that um, for some of you tonight, I just know what's going on. 
in a few of your lives here. That there are some of you in your family or you got a call from the doctor today and you're snake bitten. And it hurts and you don't know why. Or you have just been trying to, this isn't, this isn't a result of your disobedience, but as a result of your obedience to Jesus, you were experiencing pain. And you're there. And you're snake bitten. Now, uh, this doesn't even compare, this doesn't even compare to what many of you are going through. But we're getting ready to leave for a mission trip. Gretchen and I are getting ready to leave for a mission trip. Some of the best ideas that we've ever had at the church come from uh, Gretchen. And one of her ideas was we should do a couple's mission trip for married couples. Isn't that brilliant? You go serve the Lord together. That would be a great environment to work on your marriage while we build the kingdom and, and serve the poor and spread the gospel. And I was like, wow, that's brilliant. And so, in fact, um, it's great. Uh, Gretchen called me while I was on a mission trip last year, and she said, hey, listen, I want to talk to you about missions when you get home. I don't really want, I want to take like three years off. Is that okay? And I said, well, you've been on like a hundred mission trip. That's fine. It's not you got to go every three years, but you got three years to go, and you've been on a bunch. So yeah, take three years off. That's fine. And then when I get home from the mission trip, she says, okay, about missions, let's take, let's me and you lead a couple's trip. I thought, mm, okay, that's great. All right, change your mind, but no problem. That's great. And so three, the, the, so we're going to Jamaica, but years ago, like four years ago, as we were getting ready to go on a mission trip, I typically go down early and get things set up, and I'm riding along in the car one day getting things set up, and Gretchen was going to join me and our team on this trip, and she calls me on the phone, and she says, hey, we need to talk about our family planning, because we had planned on adding to the family. That was our plan. That's what we were talking about. And uh, we weren't, you know, we were practicing a lot, and we'd pulled the goalie, but we didn't, that's about as far as we'd gotten in the plan. <clears throat> and all the husbands said, amen. <laughs> Praise God. All right, so that's where we were. I told you we could be real here. And so we're on the phone, and she goes, hey, I'm not ready. I, you know, we got one kid, JP, he's awesome, and our life is great, and so I think we just need to put the brakes on that for a while. And I was like, okay, you know, it's kind of a big topic for me to be talking about while I'm driving in Jamaica, so I don't, maybe we'll talk when you get here. She was like, all right, that's fine. And so then she calls back an hour later and says, never mind, I'm already pregnant. All right, so. <laughs> and in my mind, I said, he shoots, he scores. All right, that's what I'm thinking. So she gets there on the mission trip, and she's a part of the medical team, and the medical team are doing blood tests and all these kinds of things, and Gretchen is in the infirmary. I've told you about the infirmary. I've showed you pictures of the infirmary, of all the places I've been in the entire world. One of the grossest places I've ever been uh, is the infirmary, and Gretchen is pregnant just a few weeks or whatever. Nobody else on our team knows, maybe one person or two people. And then as Gretchen's drawing blood from one of the people in the infirmary, she accidentally sticks her own self with the dirty needle. And we are, we feel snake bitten, right? Turns out everything's okay. But then when you fast forward to the next time, Gretchen's gonna go with me to Jamaica. And we're all getting ready. And it's the week before. And Reagan is running around the church. And somebody opens the door and doesn't see our little Reagan and knocks her toenail off. And we're in the emergency room. And it was kind of hanging on. But they thought that the toenail would come off while we were in Jamaica. And we didn't think that would be something that the babysitter should have to deal with. And so we're feel a little snake bitten. And then this week, we're getting ready for this mission trip. Gretchen takes our kids to just a normal, everyday, average checkup at the dentist. And then Reagan's got a cavity that requires her to be sedated and $2,400 to fix a tooth that's going to fall out in four years. A little snake bitten. 
See, I got family, and they don't even mind not having the ones right of it, but that's a whole different, that's a whole different, we're going to figure that out. But all I'm saying is this, from my wife's perspective, it feels a little like, God, I'm trying to be obedient to you and do some missions here. I'm just trying to do this great commission thing, and every time I sign up and get ready to go and get moving towards going, and everything's great, and I'm sitting by the fire warming up, and I'm going, why do I keep getting bitten by the snake? You see, some of you feel that way. Your situation may be maybe immensely more intense, or it may just be kind of aggravating, but we feel this way. Now, here's the thing. Um, I don't, if you're going to be an 1122-er, I just don't want you to be surprised when the pain comes. If I can get you to grab onto that idea, that if you're going to follow Jesus, don't be surprised when the pain comes. Because there's so many people that, that have bought into kind of an American dream version of Christianity that's not really the gospel. Because we kind of buy into this idea, well, if I'm faithful to God, then he's going to hook me up. That God, if I attend regularly, if I tithe, if I sponsor a kid and go on a mission trip, join a disciple group, if I, if I do whatever is on, on my side of the equation, then on your side of the qu- equation, it's going to be cash and prizes. Like I'm a, if I follow you, Jesus, then you're going to just bless me with cash and prizes. Now, the problem with that mentality, and, and I'm just, it, it gets preached often, It really gets preached often. The problem with it is the Bible. Like that just isn't the way it goes in the Bible. You can go Old Testament. You can go to a guy like Moses. Was Moses faithful? Pretty faithful. Okay. Climbed up on a mountain. Wrote the Ten Commandments. And then his face glowed when he walked around with people. All right. Kind of a big deal. Moses stood before a sea and held up his staff. And it moved out of the way so he could walk through it. He was a faithful guy. And at the end of his ministry, what did he do? He led a a group of grumbling, complaining people wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And then at the end of his ministry, God takes him up on the mountain and says, there it is, Moses, the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. And you know, Moses is like, finally, it's about time. I mean, I've been faithful. I've been obedient. I've led these grumbling people. I've did my part. I've done my part. And now I get to cash in on this great retirement. And what does God do? No, no, no. You're not going in. I'm going to kill you up on the mountain. Uh, uh, Joshua, who's done nothing, he's going to take them all in. And that's the last we hear of Moses. Dead. Right? And then Joshua, son of Nun, takes over. (laughs) Or you can go, I mean, you can do any of the prophets. Any of the prophets. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Right? Because he was obedient to God. Not because of his disobedience. And then a lot of times, uh, evangelicals will push back and be like, well, yeah, but pastor, that's Old Testament. See, I don't know if you know this, but in the Old Testament, God was kind of grumpy. And then Santa Claus came, and then he got super chill. Okay? That's how it happens. And, and, but the problem is, you go to the New Testament, you get guys like John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? Jesus said of John the Baptist, he was, he was the greatest man born among women. The greatest. Now, I'm not saying you're not awesome, but he was greater than you, according to Jesus. That John the Baptist announced the ministry of Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of all mankind. 
John the Baptist was the dude that baptized Jesus, dunked him in the Jordan, brings him out, and then God the Father speaks out loud to all the onlookers, behold, my son, in whom I am well pleased. That John the Baptist, kind of a big deal. Later, because of his faithfulness in preaching the gospel, John the Baptist ends up in prison and then sends a disciple of John the Baptist to his first cousin, Jesus. And with, with that disciple, he says, hey, disciple, send this message to Jesus. Are you the one or should we look for another one? So do you have doubts and questions about Jesus? If so, you would make a great disciple. And you know what Jesus answers to the disciple of John the Baptist? He says, go back to my first cousin, John the Baptist, the heralder of my mission, and answer this. Yes, I am the one. He quotes um, Isaiah 61, a messianic prophecy about the coming Messiah. He says, tell him, yes, I am the one. Because um, <clears throat> I'm preaching the good news to the poor. The, the eyes of the blind are open. The lame are walking. It's the year of the Jubilee. And then he stops. You know what the fifth part of the promise is? The fifth part is, and the captives will be set free. So imagine when that disciple gets back to John the Baptist and says, hey, hey, John the Baptist, I got good news. Um, Jesus says, yes, he is the one, he is the Messiah, and here's why. Because the good news is preached, the blind see, the lame walk, it's the year of Jubilee. Now, John the Baptist has memorized Isaiah 61, and he's going, there's one more, right? Like, no, he just mentioned those four. Didn't he mention something about a captive? No, just those four. And then what happens to John the Baptist? Beheaded in prison. Or how about this guy we've been following for the last few months? Our dear brother Paul here. Is Paul faithful? Yeah. Completely and totally sold out for Jesus Christ. He would be the kind of person that would say to live as Christ and to die as gain. No cash and prizes for him. If you follow Jesus, don't be surprised when you're bitten by the snake. Don't be surprised when the pain comes. So here's Paul. He's warming himself by the fire and the viper comes out and fastens to his hand. Verse 4. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, I still can't get out of my mind that he's like, get off. It's still hanging to his hand. They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, see that capital J, justice? Justice has not allowed him to live. You see, they believed in this, in this false god called justice. It would kind of be like our version of karma. You know, karma is kind of a popular belief system today, at least on the positive side. Have you ever heard people talk about, oh, karma, I probably got this because of the positive karma. But in our culture, we never talk about the negative side of karma. Do you know what karma teaches? Let me just clear this up. Karma teaches, if you believe in karma, then you should go to Wolfson's Children's Hospital, to the cancer ward, where all the kids there have cancer and go in and says, you deserve this. That's what karma teaches. That you did something and justice is doling out its punishment on you. And doctors, don't mess with karma. How dare you try to relieve them of the pain that they deserve because karma is doled it out. Now see, as Christians, folks, we don't believe in that. We believe in a sovereign God that loves us and shows us grace and mercy. And so what these people what they do is now they turn on Paul based on the circumstances. <clears throat> so it's bad enough that your circumstances turn south. You thought it's going to be good. You're going to warm yourself up by the fire and you find yourself snake bitten. 
And then it's, it makes it even worse. It compounds it when the people around you begin to turn on you because of the circumstances that you didn't really have anything to do with to begin with. So let me just warn you of this too. When you go through pain, just be ready for some um, <laughs> well-intentioned, misinformed Christians to say some really idiotic stuff to you. Because they will. I mean, they'll make up verses that don't exist. Or they'll ask you this question, hey, is God trying to tell you something? He's trying to tell me we ain't going to be friends anymore. I think that's what he's telling me. <laughs> and if you've ever been snake bitten, if you've ever been there, you, you've, you've had these kind of things. I was talking about it in my disciple group this morning. And, and I, we're, I'm asking the group, have you ever been through this? And one of the guys, faithful man of God, a few years and years ago was diagnosed with cancer and he had a Christian friend come to him and say, you need to repent. Of cancer? How do you, hmm. Or this one, everything happens for a reason. See, when people say that to me, I just punch them in the face and go, what was the reason for that? I think it's because you're an idiot. That's the reason. Or, um, or maybe God's punishing you. The problem with that is Romans 8, 1, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? No condemnation. If you think that God is punishing you now for something that you did, then what you essentially say is Christ's death and resurrection were insufficient for the atonement of your sin. You got a gospel problem. Um, I've heard Christians say this one. That God won't give you more than you can handle? That's a lie. It's a lie. In fact, it's God's grace when he gives you more than you can handle so that you realize you can't do it on your own. You need him. See the cross. Jesus couldn't handle the cross. It is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. That's different than I got this. Do you see? That it was actually in the suffering that God prevails? So God, if you feel like you're at the end of your rope, you might be, you should let go and grab onto him and him alone. Um, <laughs> when I was growing up, I don't hear this one this much anymore, but this was a, this was a really dumb one. Uh, the safest place you'll ever be is in the center of God's will. Oh man, I've heard so many sermons on that. The safest place you'll ever be is in the center of God's will. To which, first of all, I would go, is the periphery of God's will different than the center of God's will? You know? And let's apply that to the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. It seems like Jesus must have been out of the center of God's will because it got real dangerous for him right there at the end, didn't it? So there is no promise at all for your safety in the Scriptures that, that walking with Jesus actually is promised to be one of, the, one of the most dangerous things that you could ever do in this world. People will say things at funerals. Like, hey, you shouldn't be sad here. You should be happy. Because this person's in heaven. And they're not crying. And while all of that is theologically accurate, it's just dumb to deny that God gave us feelings to navigate this thing called life. It's just dumb. And in fact, when Jesus lost his friend in John chapter 11, he didn't act that way. When he shows up and Mary and Martha are there and they're crying because their brother Lazarus is dead, Jesus didn't say, girls, Smile. Lazarus is in heaven. 
right? And then sing a heaven song. No. The Bible says that Jesus wept. And so if you read Ecclesiastes 3, the Bible says that there's a season under heaven for everything, every kind of emotion. There's a time to dance. You hear that, Baptist? And there's a time to be still. There's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry. So the emotions that you experience when you go through pain are there so that you, when when you feel like crying, you can actually cry. So that when you feel like laughing, you don't feel guilty about that either. And so, Christians, let me just warn you. If you're going to be a Christian, then we're going to do this thing together. We were built to live in community. We were wired for relationships. And so at the Church of 1122, we are going to walk through pain with one another. And so, um, let me just warn you. Don't try to say something awesome. It's usually when you're at your worst. If you try to come up with some kind of little awesome, pithy saying, and you misquote some great theologian, and just... Really, the Bible says, careless words stab like a sword, but wise words lead to healing. You know what some of the wisest things that you can say when our brothers and sisters are walking through pain? You just say, I love you. And when they say, why is this happening? I don't know. I don't know. And in fact, it's also not a great time to correct people's theology. If they're a little theologically inaccurate in that moment, so were all the disciples. Right? All the disciples. Jesus says, who, who do you think I am? Uh, are you John the Baptist reincarnated? And they were disciples. You couldn't have been more wrong about who the Savior was. And, and yet, in those moments of pain, you know what you need to do is just be present. You just need to be present. Because that's what they'll remember. And another lie is when people tell you this, you need to be strong for your family. I don't know how withholding emotion somehow equals strength. Like Jesus didn't roll up on Mary and Martha when they're crying because her brother had died and said, hey, 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 look at this, stoic. (laughs) Feel better? Thought so. No. The Bible says that Jesus wept. So I'm just going to warn you, all right? Um, I know I try to pretend like I don't cry, right, because I work out and I have hobbies, but but if I come visit you in the hospital and this thing ain't going well, there's just been times where I've been there with families, and I will, I've walked in and just to make this confession, I just go, hey, listen, I know you think I'm going to say something awesome. I'm not. And then, and then I've just been holding hands with families as we're either burying people or praying for healing in the hospital, and I just, and I just do what Jesus did. Not because I'm spiritual, but just because I'm emotional, and I just cry with you. And, and I don't cry well. I don't. I mean, I don't get that. Some of you men are just that jaw and get that one, bing, you know, it comes out. It makes you, like, tough, but you got a heart. I cry like I'm having a seizure. It's like, and I can't breathe, and my lip goes, you know. And I'll have people say to me, um, we really appreciate you visiting, but uh, if you want to head out, we're going to listen to one of your podcasts. And I believe all the theological stuff about heaven and eternity and God is sovereign. And yet, when the snake is latched on, you know, it hurts. And it's just okay to say, this hurts. And I don't know why the snake's biting me right now. 
So here's what he does. Verse 5. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire. See, Paul's like me, not the Kentucky guy. He kills snakes. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Verse 6. And they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. And you got to know, Paul's kind of waiting on it too, isn't he? These experts in snake bites in Malta are like, "Uh uh-oh, we've seen this before. Any second now, you're just going to swell up and die. And so some of you have been snake bitten, and you're just kind of waiting. This is why perspective is tough. This is why I tell you I don't care about your feelings. Again, I care that you have feelings. I don't want your feelings to be the Lord of your life. Because, because when feelings rule your life, then, then just whatever your immediate surroundings are begin to dictate what you do instead of your Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his word dictating what you do. Because you, um, you and I are, are not good arbiters of our circumstances because we try to just mold them into whatever we want. You'd be driving down the road and be like, oh, obviously the Lord wants me to go to Krispy Kreme or the hot light would not be on and there's a parking space at the front door and I feel an emptiness in here that could be filled. It's like manna. No! And so sometimes when you're in that waiting period, it seems like a long time. It says, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they, check this out, they changed their minds. They changed their minds and said that he was a God. So in this instance, God demonstrates his sovereignty that Paul's pain was actually God's provision for the people in Malta. Is that crazy? Because do you think his theological treatise about the death and resurrection of Jesus were going to change their mind? I don't know. You think his doctrinal arguments about the sovereignty of God were going to change his mind? Listen, I've been in theological debates with atheists and just checkmate them five times. Ha ha! What you got now? And I've never seen one of them go, you know what, you're right. I think I want to surrender my life to Jesus right now. Never! They just leave defeated. But I've seen brothers and sisters walk through some serious pain with character, integrity, and trusting God in a peace that surpasses or transcends understanding. And I've seen other onlookers that did not believe that there was a God, but they could not explain the way these people suffered well in the name of Jesus and change their mind. That God, and only an almighty and sovereign God, could use a snake bite to change their mind. And see, so actually what happens here, it's the way Paul handles the pain that gives him credibility. Listen, when this snake latches onto your hand, pray that it lets go. That's fine. Pray for a miracle. That's great. But you know what? Sometimes God gives you the miracle not in changing your circumstances, but instead God gives you the miracle in saying, I'm going to let you walk through this suffering with, with, uh, with integrity and character, and that's actually going to be how I'm glorified. Not by changing any of the circumstances. The other thing, this one's hard to grab onto also. And sometimes it's just for you. That the pain is just for you to draw into Christ. 
Don't believe me? Um, you want to what, want to know what Paul's attitude here is in pain? You can act, we can actually read Paul's words all over the place. I could do about 25 verses. I'll do four or five. Paul writes in Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. In Romans 8.16-18, to 18, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Or Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you. So like Paul would see this as a gift. For it has been granted to you that for, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Or in 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So the Apostle Paul was crazy enough to believe that if this snake bite somehow builds a bridge for the sake of the gospel to the glory of God and the people of the island of Malta, then so be it. Because the present suffering is not even worthy to be compared to the future glory that I will experience when I am face to face with Jesus. And so in verse 7, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named, he's got the weirdest name, I don't even know how to say it, okay? One way it makes me embarrassed to say it, the way I think it's pronounced. So I'm going to make up my own pronunciation which is I don't know this guy who <laughs> I'm just going to skip his name who received us and entertained us hospitably for 3 days and it happened that the father of the guy with the funny name lay sick with fever and dysentery and Paul visited him and prayed putting his hands on him and he healed him that it's Paul's pain that paves the way to influence. That, that God apparently had a plan all along. That the snake was actually a part of the plan for the sake of the people in this, in this island. You see, as Americans, we're going to hate this, we're going to hate this, we're going to hate this. It's against everything you were taught in the fourth grade. That God has no problem displacing our temporary comforts for an eternal purpose. No problem. Doesn't even bother him that much. You know why? Maybe because he forever is a long time. And the 80 years we get, one day, 10,000 years from now, it won't seem like as big a deal as it is now. And so God has a plan. And the other thing that's crazy is that what does Paul do as a response of being bitten by the snake? He leads people to Jesus who allowed him to be bitten by the snake. He never gets resentful about it. He never, he's that surrendered to the mission and the cause of Jesus. And so he goes around town healing people in this city, verse 9, or in this island. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. 
And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed, whatever we needed. That God actually uses the pain to provide for them everything that they will need. So when the snake bites, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm just saying we have a sovereign God that can use whatever we go through for the building of his kingdom. Here's the point. That God never wastes a hurt. That God will never waste a hurt. That God will never waste a hurt. Listen, that yesterday's misery can be redeemed for today's ministry. And, I, and, and now here's the thing. While the snake is, when you're trying to fling the snake off, it doesn't feel like, oh yeah, one day God's going to redeem this misery that I'm in for the sake of his ministry. But I could just introduce you to person after person after person. If you know Jesus, one day we can get it straight from Paul. So tell us about it, Paul, and he can tell us all about it. But our church is littered with people who were walking through misery yesterday. And it hurt, and God is with them, and we are with you, and we will walk with you. And then God somehow, in his sovereign grace, can redeem yesterday's misery for today's ministry. In Romans 8, 28, the Bible says this, we know that God works all things together. God is the subject of the sentence, not things. That God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, here's what I think. I think most Christians in the room want to glorify God with your life. Most of us in the room say, yes, I want to live a God-glorifying life, but we want to glorify God in our successes. Say, God, I've got this all figured out. Okay, this is how this is going to work. Give me the raise. Give me the promotion. And I will tell everybody it was because of you. See how that works, God? You bless me, and I bless you. All right? We call that a win-win, God. Won't that be great? Or make me a superstar athlete. That's, that's what you can do, God. I've got it figured out. Make me a superstar athlete. And when I score the touchdown, I will point to you in the heavens. And everybody will know. There is a God. Or if I'm really do good, I can even like bow down into like a super Jesus pose. Now, is that God glorified? Yeah, it is. And, and I would, look, look, when the Powerball gets up high enough, I go buy a ticket and say, okay, God, here's what we'll do. Okay? I'm sorry, Baptist, but I'm going to tithe on it. That's part of the plan, all right? And I go, all right, Lord, the Powerball's at like 600 million, and then I'll buy that, and then, and then, and also, God, don't make me share this with another idiot in Kentucky or something like that. Let me get the whole winnings just for your glory, and I'll be pharisaical about it and go 10%. That's, that's big money to you, okay? And then when people ask me, what are you going to do with this? I'm going to just glorify Jesus, all right? That's what I'm going to do. And you know what happens? Sometimes God goes, okay, okay. I'm going to bless you like crazy for the, for the renown of my name. And then sometimes he goes, nah, nah. I'm not going to be glorified in your successes. Actually, I'm going to be glorified in your suffering. And I'm going to be glorified in your desperation. And I'm going to reach your community and I'm going to reach your school and I'm going to reach your city Not because you got the blessings of God, but the blessing is going to be actually that you trust me enough in the pain. Because listen to me, the prosperity gospel leads no one to love Jesus. It leads the people to 
to love prosperity. Follow Jesus and you get a new Cadillac. You go, whoo, I want a Cadillac. Don't you mean Jesus? Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I mean Jesus. But it comes with a Cadillac, right? And guess who your God is? It isn't Jesus. And so what Paul shows us over and over and over and over is that you follow Jesus and he doesn't necessarily make life better, but he's better than life. And listen, Christians, it's time for us to start acting like our treasures aren't actually here on earth. But when we begin to live in such a way as if our treasures are actually in heaven, then the things of this world begin to lose its grip upon us. And we can live as if we're not citizens of this world, but citizens of another. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Now that's important. Perplexed. Why'd the snake bite you, Paul? It's perplexing, I don't know. Is it okay to be perplexed? Sure. Is it okay to ask why? You better believe it. God can handle it. Okay? He's not hoping you'll find him out, all right? He, you can, he's, he's an almighty, sovereign God. Ask him whatever you want. Perplexed, but not despair, because I know he's sovereign. It says, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says it this way. He says, God's, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That God whispers to us in our pleasure. That when you're blessed like God, that God whispers to us. But the problem is, sometimes the pleasures of this world are so loud, they drown out the very voice of God, the very one who gives you those pleasures and gives you those good and perfect gifts. We've all been there. And God speaks to us in our conscience. And sometimes in our world, he needs to pull up the megaphone and shout, not only to get our attention, but to get the attention of the world around us for the glory of his name. Um, David Platt says it this way, that God uses sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. That God uses sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. And if you don't believe me, look at the cross. Look at the cross. If you were to ask the disciples on Good Friday, what's going on here, boys? And they would see their Messiah, their Christ, their rabbi, the one they had followed that claimed to be the Son of God, the resurrection and the life, the bread of life, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one could come to the Father except through him, and they saw him dead on a cross, they would say, we're perplexed. We don't know. I thought he was just going to come in and make all things good. And it looks like it's over. And so I can promise you this. That three days that he was in the tomb, to them it felt like a long time. It was so long that Peter said, all right, y'all, I'm going back to my old career. I'm going fishing. And a bunch of them went with him. But what did God do? That God did not waste a hurt that he poured out his wrath on his own son who endured the cross for our sin, endured the pain, endured the scorn, endured the shame for our sin. And it was that sorrowful situation that set the stage 
for the triumph of the resurrected Jesus Christ in which we all have hope, in which we can all trust that there is provision and there is a plan in the pain. Because if God did not withhold his own son for us, but sent him to die on a cross and then resurrect him on the third day, then how much more for his children who've been paid for, bought and purchased? You see, we can trust God that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, that while we're snake bitten and into pain, that Christ died for us. And so if you're into pain, then just know this. God will never waste a hurt. He'll never waste a hurt. And if you'll be an active participant with the sovereign God, that he can use the misery that you feel right now one day for ministry. And it's why I pray week after week after week for you individually and us as a church that God would bless us or break us whatever it takes to draw us unto him would you please pray with me Father in heaven Lord I know there's some pain in this room because um, we're real people living real life in a real and broken world and God I thank you God, I thank you that you are sovereign. I thank you that you are in charge. Lord, I thank you that you hear our prayers. God, I thank you that you don't rebuke us when we're honest in our prayer life. God, we thank you for some prayer warriors like David who would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he would also come to a place where he could say, where he could say, God, I, I love you. I long to be in your presence wherever I go. You're there. So Lord, I pray that this would be a place of honest prayer where we could pour out our heart to you. And God, that we would not put our trust in our changing circumstances, but we would put our trust in you. Your never-ending, your unfailing love as demonstrated on the cross. Lord, I pray that our attitude would be the same as that of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who was obedient even unto death on the cross, but who was resurrected on the third day. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Would you please stand? If you're familiar with the Psalms, There are a whole section of psalms in the Old Testament, most of them written by David, called Songs of Lament. And they would start out with David having serious, like, soul-shaking kind of questions. Like Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But every one of those lamenting psalms, they start out honest, they start out in lament, they do not, um, they do not downplay the pain that he was walking through, but every single one of them end in praise. And one of our responses to God, even when snake bitten, is that we put our trust in Him, that He has a plan, and that sometimes pain is His provision for us, and we join our voices in praise. And so we're going to respond to to God for who He is and what He's done. We're going to respond by singing. We're going to respond by coming to the altar. We're going to respond by bringing our tithes and offerings to the giving boxes around here. However you need to respond, Let this be a time of response to God.